You're listening to the No Farting Around Show. We're all about taking your marketing and business from the toilet to the bank. I'm your host, Ashley Mae Fernandez, and this is the only show where making a disruptive noise smells like success. Each week, I interview high-level disruptors who are making a big stink in their industry by doing things their own way while you listen in and ask a question or two. Talk show, live studio audience style. Expect all things marketing, messaging, money, and mindset, and only strategies that don't include farting and darting or treating your clients like an afterthought. So if you're ready to stop farting around and actually scale your business, let's cut to the cheese and get on with the show. Hello, everyone. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm very excited about today's episode. I know I say that on every episode, but I'm really, really excited about today's episode. And I'm really excited, honestly, just about today because I'm one of those weird people who really, really, really love rainy days. And it is a rainy day as I'm recording this and I'm sitting in my office and I can overlook downtown and it's just, it's just a rainy day. And those are my favorite. I am a little tired. However, for those of you who do not know, I have an eight month old and uh, her name is Clara and she is going through a sleep regression, I'm sure. And oh my God, she woke up at least four or five times last night. And so mama is pretty tired today. And we also had a huge thunderstorm last night. So the power went out. So my three-year-old, the light went off. And so then she comes in and is scared. So it was, it was a rough night in the parent department last night, but I'm here. I'm recording this. I'm really excited to talk about the second reason why you're attracting clients who can't afford you. And I am breaking this up into a couple of different episodes over a series that I'm calling like the high ticket sales series. And these are just a few things that I, a few core things that I see that really are preventing people uh, from attracting those clients who are just like a heck yes, I'm ready to pay you on the spot type of client. And so last episode, um, we talked about offer structure, really. And if you have not listened to the episode, go back and listen to it. And as I was thinking about this episode and recording this episode, I even went back and listened to the last episode to see if there was anything I wanted to add, because that that tends to happen with me. I will start to talk about something and then like, a couple of days later, I'm thinking about it again. And I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said that. Or, oh, yeah, I need to add that. And anyways, it was something that I was like, okay, let's make notes to, to do on this episode. And then what ended up happening is I made notes and now I cannot find them because I usually write them on my Remarkable and my Remarkable was dead. Remarkable, it's like a digital kind of tablet that feels like paper. I'm obsessed with it and I write <clears throat> everything on it. And so I wrote all my notes actually on um, a sticky note and now I can't find the sticky note. So I'm just going to try and do it from memory, I guess you'd say. But what we're going to be talking about today is, again, the second reason why you're attracting clients who can't afford you. And before I actually even talk about the second reason, I want to talk about really what I mean when you're attracting clients who can't afford you, specifically because I'm talking about people who have a high ticket offer. And you might be wondering, okay, what do you consider a high ticket offer? 
For me, it, it honestly depends on what the offer structure is. It's kind of what we talked about last time, right? If someone has a year-long coaching program and they're charging $5,000, to me, that's not high ticket, right? Like you're doing it for a whole year. That's not high ticket. If you were doing it for a month and it was 5000 then yes, I would consider that a high ticket. So I think it just really... It really depends on the other factors within that offer, correct? And so when I say high ticket, we kind of we kind of have to preface really what what determines that high ticket. And that is what I think determines a high ticket. I did have a question about that from the last episode. And I will say this too, guys, just to celebrate this. If you do not follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn um, or Instagram, <clears throat> uh, which I'm, I'm more active mostly on Facebook and and um LinkedIn now versus Instagram, but I shared that this podcast hit top 50 on iTunes in the marketing category. And I am so freaking pumped about that. So anyways, I just want to throw that little shameless plug in there to celebrate. And if you are someone who um, has left me a review, thank you. Thank you so, so much. I, I really appreciate those. I'm really not in this for kind of the metrics. This is just something I feel called to do to talk about on a podcast and I love to talk. And so this is something that I really want to have been wanting to do for a long time. But I did want to just say thank you. Thank you for showing up and listening to these and sharing these episodes. Um, the last episode was by far my most downloaded episode. And before that was my episode with my friend Katie Pinnell, who's a copywriter. Um, so I was really excited to see that and also noticed a couple of days ago that we hit number 43 on in the marketing category for this podcast on iTunes. So that makes me over the moon excited. But yeah, so anyways, just just thank you for that. But anyways, oh, let's jump in. Let's just let's just jump in uh, and talk about the second reason. So we talked last week again about the offer and kind of the mistakes I see making within the offer. And this week I want to talk about ideal client. So again, I, I kind of told you guys on the last episode that it'll be some kind of basic things, but the way that I break ideal client down is so just transformational. I've had almost every single one of my clients, a lot of my businesses that I've worked with on consulting deals that are seven and eight figure companies, they also find this incredibly transformational because no one really breaks it down like this. So First, I want to talk about a few things that I see, mistakes that I see when it comes to ideal client. And I'm going to talk about the mistakes that I really see people who are at that six-figure, multiple six, seven and eight-figure um, mark. So one of the biggest mistakes I see when it comes to their ideal client is they obviously aren't making it specific enough. But when I say they're not making it specific enough, I mean that they're not focusing on the different core aspects of marketing when they're talking to that idle client. So let me just preface that. So there are, you know, four different kind of categories when it comes to marketing, right? We have consumer behavior. We have psychographics. We have geographic based on location. And then we also have demographic, right? Are they female? Are they male? What's their age range? All of that. So a lot of times people get the demographic and the geographic pretty well, but where they really, really, really don't go deep enough is the consumer behavior, the behavior demographic, or 
the psychographic. That's where my bread and butter is really focusing on that psychographic. Because if you've listened to this podcast, I've talked about this before, in which the way that our brains operate is that a scenario or an event will happen, right? Like something happens outside of us and we have a thought about it. And then once we have that thought, that drives a particular emotion. We're going to have an emotion based off that thought. And then those emotions are going to basically push us to take certain actions, either take certain actions, do certain things, take certain, make certain behaviors, right? And then all of those actions, those things that we do will create an outcome. So once we have that outcome, usually we can always draw it back to the thought because what we're thinking will directly correlate to what outcome that we get. And a lot of people don't really use this in their marketing or specifically when they're thinking about their ideal client. They love to tend to talk about all of the actions that their ideal clients are taking, but a lot of the times they don't quite realize what the thought is behind the actions that they're taking. And that is where it's magic. And that is really what I focus on when it comes to looking at your ideal client. And it's really important to know that because someone can take the same action, but have two very different mindsets. And you need to know which one you want to actually talk to. And another thing you really need to consider is you really truly have to believe that the thought creates the outcome and that the thought comes first before the feeling. There's a lot of people out there who say the feeling comes first and that's not true. Like we think that's how our brains operate. Like we think, oh, I have this feeling and because I'm feeling this way, I have to take certain steps or certain actions. And then if I take those certain steps and actions, then I'll get this result. And if I get the result that I want, then it'll mean slash I'll think it means blank, right? I'll then think this, or if we get the action or we get the outcome we don't want, then it means this, or I'll think this. And that's not how our brains work. That's not how your ideal client works. So when you know that the thought comes first, you automatically have so much more leverage when speaking to them. And I'm even just going to give you an example of of the, the fact that the thought comes first. I just want you to imagine right now standing on top of a building at the very ledge. Just think about that. I bet your heart starts to race. You start to feel a little anxious and a little nervous. But I hope you see that emotion came because you had that thought. I put that thought in your head, right? And it's and it can work backwards. If you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling scared, what were you thinking about to feel that way? What are the thoughts that you're having that make you feel that way? And so this is really digging into the psychographics, right? The mindset, the thoughts that they're having. And this is where my strategy really, really, really works, right? This is how I'm able to close high ticket sales in the DMs without a sales call because I'm speaking so much on a psychographic and thought level with them, with my ideal clients. And I teach my clients to do this as well. This is what the whole basis of my thought shifting content. But you have to know that 
really specific part of your ideal client. And a lot of people do not dig into that whatsoever. So their ideal client ends up sounding like everybody else's ideal client, right? Like when I ask, oh, who's your ideal client? They'll say something like, oh, they're coachable. They're an entrepreneur. They really want to, you know, next level their business, right? I, I would... I should have pulled up. I should have just went to like a really popular coach's website and pulled up something to actually share a real example on this. But I do this quite often, actually. Um, just a little sneaky content hack. I love to, to talk differently than other people in my industry. So one of the sneaky things I do is I actually go to other people in my industry and look at what they're saying. And I immediately try to figure out a way to say the same thing, but in a different way to where it actually like hits way better. Because a lot of the times, which we actually will talk about this in another episode in this series, I see a lot of people create what I call duh content because it's like they're telling their ideal client what they already know. Like it would be, I use the example a lot, it'd be like a email marketing strategist telling you email marketing is not dead. Well, duh, your ideal client already knows email marketing is not dead because if they thought email marketing was dead, they wouldn't be looking to hire you. Like it's duh content. And a lot of the times people create what I call duh ideal clients. They're like, let's say they are an email marketing strategist. They're like, oh, I, I work with people who have email lists. Well, duh. <laughs> like, like we need to get a little bit deeper than that. Yeah. So the way that I actually dig down into this is I've created what I call my 4A process. So I basically look at four different categories when it comes to your ideal client. So the first category is the assets. Um, What assets or resources do they already have in place that make them a great fit for your offer? So this is an example. Let's say um, you are a hiring strategist or a, a, a team strategist, something you help entrepreneurs build out teams. Asset that your ideal client would already have is maybe they already have two people on their team. So they've or maybe they've hired before and they've fired before. So they've already gone through the hiring process. They already kind of gone through the process of elimination of who they want, who they don't want, right? It would be a lot easier if someone has already gone through the hiring process first, if that is something that you really want, right? If you have to teach them from the beginning, the basics of what it means to hire somebody, it might be a little bit more difficult for you. So your ideal client, you could say, oh, an asset is that they already have one or two people on their team, or they've already hired and fired someone on their team. And now they they feel stuck and they don't really actually know how to hire effectively because they've tried to hire themselves and it hasn't been a good fit. So that could be an asset. Another asset could be they're already at uh, multiple six figures in their company. And the reason why with that is because you would have to say, all right, well, I want to make sure that they are setting up their in their employee or their team member with the correct amount of salary that they should have based off the industry standards, right? Like if you're if you're at $20,000 in your business a year and you're trying to hire someone, you're going to try and pay them something dirt cheap. Like they're obviously not even going to hire you to, to help hire, right? So you have to know what is the assets that they have in place. And I'm using a different example, another asset, let's say email marketing strategist, because I, I love to use that example because it's so easy. Um, an email marketing strategist asset would be they already have an email list of at least a thousand members. They already have an open rate of, I don't know, 40%. They've already made a certain percentage of sales from their email list. Maybe they make 20% of their sales from their email list. That would be an asset. It's something that you can tangibly measure. So that's the first A. The second A is 
actions. So what actions have they already taken in their business prior to learning about you? What actions have they already taken? So this could look like, let's say you're a launch strategist. They've already had a successful launch prior to hiring you, right? Because that might fit into your process, right? Like your process could be looking at the data of their previous launch and figuring out how to increase their retention rate or increase their conversion rate. And so you would kind of need that data. Maybe you don't work with someone who is just launching for the first time. That would be an action that they've already taken. What other actions have they already taken? Let's see, maybe they've already um, invested in Facebook ads, right? That could be an action. They already have their Facebook ad um, account set up. They've already, maybe their actions, they've already hired a copywriter or they've already um, created all of the landing pages for their launch. That would be an action that they've already physically taken, right? What is something in their business they've already taken? A mindset coach, let's say you're a mindset coach, an action that they've already taken is they probably, let's say, They've already worked with a coach previously. Maybe they've already done some type of, you know, self-development before, right? Like maybe they've done therapy or something. I'm not sure, but that would be an action that they've already taken. So for me, like just using my business as an example, when it can, when it comes to the assets, I usually work with people who have hit the six-figure mark for my shift to sell program. They're either right at that six-figure mark or they've already hit it. Right. And another asset is they they already have content that they've created. So I have can go in and help repurpose that content and shift it with my thought shifting framework. Another asset would be uh, they usually have teams. They usually already have a team like a, a VA or an OBM. And they've already worked with a business coach before. I really enjoy them to have a business coach. Some of the assets too on like my other end on my consulting deal, they already have sales teams or they already have a marketing team in place. So it's a lot easier for me to go in and actually look at like, like consult with the VP of sales or the VP of marketing, right? To be able to go in and see where their bottlenecks are and where we can increase the revenue. So those are the assets really for my ideal client. And then on the actions, my ideal client, you know, it could also, I, I will say this too, it could be the actions they've already taken or the actions they haven't taken. So for example, the actions that my ideal clients have taken is um, they have already hired a coach that could also kind of fall into assets, but they've already hired a coach before. They've already worked with a coach previously. And then another action that they have already taken is they've already done some type of copywriting training. They already know the basic skills in copywriting. The next A is their abilities. And some of these kind of overlap a little bit, but that's okay because sometimes our brains just need you to ask it in a different way to be able to pull out different answers, right? I don't know if that's ever happened to you where someone has asked you a question, but then someone kind of asked you the same question, but reworded it. And it was meant to get the same answer, but it brought out different answers that kind of mesh together. So the second one is the abilities. So what abilities do they already have? What are their skills that they already have? So this would look like my idol client already has the basic copywriting skills, the basic content skills, the basic the basic sales skills that like they already know how to sell. They're not, you know, they don't not pitch their offer ever, right? Like they 
already have a sales ability. They already know how to do that. What are some of the things they already know how to do? What skills do they already have? Let's say you're a fitness coach or a health coach. Some of the uh, skills or the abilities that your ideal client would already have is they can already run a mile without stopping. Let's say your style is CrossFit. They already know, they already have the skill of rope climbing. They already have the skill of high intensity uh, training. That would be, that would be a skill or a ability that they have. So then the fourth A would be awareness. And this is my favorite thing. When I say awareness, what knowledge slash mindset hurdles have they already overcome? Let me give you a prime example. And I will actually, I'll preface this by saying, when you start to do this over time, it will get a lot clearer because you'll start to notice, oh, I don't want to attract someone with that mindset. Don't want to attract someone who's not aware of this, right? So for me, for an example, when I first started my program that I have now, it was a different name, but it's it's basically the same program. I've just tweaked it a little bit, but my program Shift to Sell, I was attracting people who were really afraid to charge a premium price for their service, right? Like they were coming to me and they wanted to charge a high ticket, but they had a mindset block of my offer is not worth this high ticket price. And I realized I did not want to tackle that mindset. I didn't want to jump on calls and feel like I had to come over all these mindset blocks for them to have the confidence to actually pitch their high ticket offer. So I shifted it now that my ideal client is already aware that their offer is priced at a premium because their service is a premium service. And they already have the awareness that they're freaking amazing at what they do and they get their clients' results. I don't want to, you know, and again, I, there's no, we've all been there, right? Like we've all had that imposter syndrome and it does happen new level, new devil. For my particular offer, I wanted someone to come in who already had a high ticket price tag on their offer and they already had that awareness that, my offer is worth this price and I'm really amazing at what I do. So that was some of the awareness. I also wanted them to have the awareness that the algorithm really doesn't mean crap. Like I don't want my idol client coming to me and boohooing saying the algorithm is against me. And I, you know, I'm not making any sales because the algorithm sucks. No, 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 no. Like they already have the awareness that to be successful in business, you have to actually go out and build intentional relationships and not just sit back and rely on a algorithm and then blame the algorithm when you're not when you're not getting the clients. I didn't want that. I needed them to already have the awareness of what it actually takes to go out and network and build these high ticket relationships. So that was an awareness that I would have. So again, the four A's are assets, actions, abilities, and awareness. And when you break these things down, I kid you not, you will be so blown away on how much clarity you have on your ideal client. And again, some of these can overlap and that's totally okay. Let your brain just dump everything 
And then what I actually um, do after I have my clients go through this kind of 4A mentality, I have them write all these things down. I then have them go and look at their top two or three amazing clients that they've worked with. And I have them run this through their clients. I say, okay, what assets, what actions, what um, abilities and what awareness did your best fit client have? And then we can we can do the opposite too. What do you wish they would have had? And write that down. And this, I'm telling you guys, it gives you so much clarity. Um, I have them do it with their top two or three best clients. And I also have them do it with their top two to three worst clients. And I want to say, when I say worst clients, I don't mean that they technically have to be horrible clients, but maybe they were the clients who didn't get the best results that you knew they were capable of. When you dig into these specific as to why they didn't get those, it's game changer. Because a lot of the times we don't actually take the time to dig really hard into the data because we think data might just be numbers, right? Like we just think, oh, okay, well, you know, that client didn't get the results. We never really analyze why. I actually love when things don't work out. Like I love the negative data because it really gives you the opportunity to pivot and change. And it gives you the awareness of like, okay, that was something I do not want my ideal client to have. So let what part of my messaging, what part of my content spoke to that? So I'm going to give you even just a really big example of of this because this week, just this week, I'm working with my copywriter to update the copy on my website. And we were looking at the old copy on my website. And I just could not help but laugh because when I had that copy, the caliber of client that I was bringing in was not the caliber of client that I wanted to bring in. And I realized when I sat down and did my foray method with my own ideal client, I realized that the messaging I had did not line up. And I'll give you a prime example. One of the lines in my in my old copy was, you're creating amazing content, but you're shaking, basically you're shaking your fist at the algorithm because no one's actually seeing it. And I laughed because I'm like, oh my gosh, no wonder I was attracting people who kept blaming the algorithm. But now I know that. So I don't, on my new copy, there is no mention of algorithm whatsoever because I know that the type of person I want to come in is not blaming the algorithm. Because when you blame other things, you're not taking responsibility for your action or lack of action. And I want my ideal client to know that the reason that they are where they are in their business is because of their action or lack of action. They already know that. They take responsibility of their actions and their business. And that's a really big thing for me. And here's another thing. Um, Another example. In my messaging, I kept saying things like, I'm your uh, tough love cheerleader. I'm with you every step of the way. And I'll hold you accountable. But then I was bringing in clients who were turning to me as their savior and wanted me to, they, they wouldn't even take action unless they asked my permission for it. And it would be really frustrating because they would also wait an entire week to bring up an issue 
or to post something because they wanted my approval. And I'm like, just post it. It's okay. Like they were, it was like, they were so afraid to take action because they were looking to me as their savior. They were creating codependent relationships, but I was setting that up in my copy. I'm like, I'm holding you accountable. And so now I know I don't say anything about me holding you accountable because at the end of the day, I need my ideal client to already be holding themselves accountable. And I even say this now a lot in my messaging is I'm not here to hold you accountable. I'm not here to give you permission. You've already given your darn self permission, right? Like I want to work with people who have already given themselves permission. They don't need permission. And I kept saying, here's your permission to be bolder. No, no, they're already being bolder. They're already out there ruffling feathers. They're already being a thought leader in their industry. They just don't know how to articulate it in their messaging and in their content. But I had to sit down and go through this process and I had to sit down and look at what my content and what my messaging was saying and who I was attracting because of that. So this is one of the really like core things I look at when I'm working with my clients. And then again, the offer, which we talked about last week, I look at the specifics of that offer, right? And who is the best fit for it based off of the 4A method and based off of their top three best clients and their top three, you know, worst clients that they've had. So another asset of mine would be they have to have a validated offer to which they have client results so that I can pull that data from to know who is a perfect fit ideal client for their offer. So that's another asset that my ideal client has. And so it it all kind of goes in tandem, but those are really one of the biggest things that I see when it comes to ideal client. I'm going to hit on one last thing and then I'm going to I'm going to end the podcast so it's not super long, but one last thing that I see a lot of and I will just go on record to say I am not a huge fan of ascension models. And what I mean by ascension model is having a low ticket, a middle ticket and a high ticket offer to which you think Every, like your clients are going to buy all three. I don't love that because when you're trying to focus on bringing clients in at various stages, your messaging is going to be all over the place, right? So for me, I think you should have one core offer. Mine's the shift to sell. I do have a higher ticket offer, but I don't actually talk about that a lot in my messaging. That's usually more so referral. Or if someone comes to me who is maybe in the middle or like they're a little bit, they need a little bit more than what my main offer presents or achieves, then I'll talk to them about the consulting offer. And I don't have a low ticket offer because when you're When you have a low ticket offer and you have a middle tier offer, you're going to, your messaging is going to be all crazy. It's not going to be cohesive. You're going to be talking to two different people at two different stages, and you're not going to be known as someone in a very specific stage, right? So I don't love Ascension models in that regard. Now, do I think Ascension models work to some degree? Every strategy will work. Right. Like I will tell you, listen, every strategy will work. It just depends on who you're actually marketing that strategy to and the way in which you're marketing that strategy. So I'm not going to say essential models don't work. I just don't love them 
I don't love them, especially for my expertise and what I'm helping my client achieve. Because we want to be so dialed in on who is the best fit for their particular high ticket signature offer. Okay. So what I what the reason why I brought that up is because I see that mistake when it comes to idol client is that they're trying to talk to the same kind of typical ideal client, but at a different stage in their business. And then what ends up happening is they start to market to someone and trying to convince them or bring awareness that person has the problem that you solve. I actually hate this. I do not think that you need to make your ideal client aware of what problem you solve. They should already be aware that they have the problem you solve. How much easier would it be to talk to someone who's already aware that they have the problem that you solve. Like, just think about that. There would be no convincing. There would be no educating. It would literally just be you positioning yourself as the person to solve the problem that they know they already have. And when you start to actually create messaging from that clarity, Your messaging skyrockets as an authority. You start to sound different than everybody else because you're not focusing on educating and making them aware. You are showing up as the thought leader in your space and why you're the person they need to hire. And you automatically start to talk at a higher level. And from your expertise, you start to show it off because you're not telling them email marketing is not dead. They already know it's not dead. I love just using that example because I see it all the freaking time. I'm like, uh, right? Or a Pinterest strategist saying, well, you need to be on Pinterest. They already know that. Why aren't they on it yet? Or maybe they're already on it, but they're not using it as effectively as they should. How do they think they should be using it? And how can you bring awareness to why the way that they're using it is not the most effective way and shifting their thought about it, Right? That is where there's gold. That is where the magic happens. But you have to know your ideal client so, 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 so specifically to make that happen. So I kind of want to rant here. Oh, I get so fired up about these things, guys. And I have to tell you, just even from a personal level, this has been very transformational for me. And it's always getting clearer. Every single client I have, I go back to this 4A method and I tweak it. Every single client that I've worked with, I go back and I tweak it. And it's really awesome to see the clarity and see how much it's changed with every client that I've worked with. And, you know, Again, I a big mistake that I used to make is I would say, oh, you want more leads. And so I'd be attracting people who I would get, we would create content that would get them leads, but they didn't have a sales skill. What's the point of me helping you get all these leads if you can't actually close them? So then that became part of the abilities, right? Like they already had a sales ability. They already knew how to close a sale. So there was just all these things. And then another one too, I had a client, oh my God love her to death, but she basically was like, I don't like creating content. After she was working with me for two months, she was like, I just don't like creating content. Well, then why in the world did you sign up with someone who was going to teach you how to create 
thought shifting content if you didn't like creating content in the first place. So then I had to make that, a, you know, this was a this was like a year or two ago. I had to make that a criteria that you were already creating content, that you were already creating content that got lots of engagement. You already had some type of community built up or you were not afraid to actually make connections with people. I want the people who love to make connections. That's me. That's every single one of my clients. I can't tell you how many times my clients are like, oh my gosh, I was on a call with so-and-so today and he connected me with this person and she connected me with that person. And oh my gosh, I have this big opportunity. Like, I need my idol client to know that relationships are everything in business. A lot of my ideal clients also came from corporate as well, because they also know the environment of networking. They're not afraid to network. They're going to conferences. They're, they're actually engaging with other people. They're building a community, not an audience. That's a really big thing with my ideal clients as well. So again, this has all gotten clearer over the years and with every single client that I have. And this also has dictated the messaging for my offer and then positioning my offer to fit the best fit client for it. This is why I did offer first, because I do think offer comes first. I don't believe you should have an offer that, that has parts of it that you don't love doing. Like you can meet someone where they're at. They could already have taken action prior to working with you. And this was really funny because I was on a call with my client one time and it was just like this aha moment for her. Where she was like, yeah, you know, when I first started working with this client, it was really, really tough. And like, it was a six month contract that she had. And she was like, yeah, for the first three months, it was really tough. But then she had just this breakthrough after the third month where it became a lot easier. And I said, okay, what were those mindset things you had to overcome in those first three months? And she told me a few things and I was like, okay, so that's what you're going to have in the awareness stage already. They're already aware of these things. And she was like, so you mean I can just start marketing to who that client was after three months? And I was like, exactly. And she goes, oh my God, that makes so much sense. <laughs> and it was just this like small tweet. She was, oh my gosh. I was like, yes, you don't have to, you know, work with someone you don't want to work with. You don't have to offer things in your offer that you don't love doing. One last example I'll share and then I'll jump is one of my clients who is a hiring strategist. She, in her offer, was basically helping them do an onboarding of the new employee that she was helping them hire. And she was like, I hate doing it, but, you know, I just feel like some of my clients don't know how to manage their employee very well. And I was like, so why do you think that is? She's a lot of the times it's their first hire. I said, okay, so an action that they have needed to take beforehand and an asset that they need to have is they need to already have a team member or they need to have already hired before and maybe they fired that person and now they're coming to you so that they have some type of management in place. She was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And I was like, if you don't like managing, then be done with them. Like, you, like why are you offering the onboarding and the teaching them how to manage their client once they're onboarded? She said, I don't know. I think because it just offers more value. And I'm like, but if you're talking to the right person, they're not going to need that. So it was so crazy because we cut out and she was, and, and actually she was wasting an hour a week on a call, helping them with this employee management. And 
she was wasting an hour of her time, but she thought it was more valuable. Again, like when we talked about in the last episode, she was adding more fluff basically into her offer and she didn't love doing it. So she completely cut it out and she got so much time back. And we even raised her rate because the caliber of client that we were attracting now with her new messaging was completely different. And she was like, oh my God, my clients now, they already have this amazing onboarding system where they are going through a, an entire um, orientation with their clients. They already have it set up because they already have teams of two to three people already. And they're already running these efficient companies and these efficient teams and their team. And she's like, and they already have a leadership training coming in to be able to make sure that the teams are running smoothly. She's like, oh my gosh, it's just insane. And it was just that one tweak that we did with her ideal client and it changed all of her messaging. Right. It changed how she spoke to her idol clients, changed in her content. Right. She no longer was creating content of like, are you looking to hire your first employee? It changed to how to hire an employee that meshes 100 percent with your already existing team. We completely changed her messaging. And it was it was transformational. She went from doing around two to three thousand a month to consistently hitting 10 to 15 K months. No joke within two months of working together, which is just insane. Could you imagine that? Oh, so great. Anyways, so I don't find it super important, guys. This is the method in which I do it. And this is the method in which I help my clients do it. And I would encourage you to sit down and do it for your clients as well. Um, and seeing these little nuances really does change everything. So that's the second part of this four-part series. And um, I would love to know your takeaways. Please, please feel free to message me on Instagram or Facebook. It's Ashley Mae Fernandez on both. And I would love to know if this was super insightful or super, super helpful for you. And I am going to go get me another coffee because I am so tired. I really do appreciate all of you. I love you all. And yeah, I'll catch you on the next Seer or the next episode, which I'm going to be talking all about marketing tactics. So it's going to be a good one. And yeah, hope you all have an amazing rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Oh, friend, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the No Partner Round Show. I hope you had as much fun as I did. And I would love, love for you to join us on the next podcast recording. You can go to www.ashamefernandez.com slash podcast to see our interview schedule and the link to join us live to get your questions answered, get some personalized feedback and one-on-one hot seat coaching from not only me, but the amazing guests that I bring on the show. So I hope to catch you in the next episode. And until then, I will smell you later.